Good morning. It's good, to, it's good to see you, and it's good to have this opportunity to assemble. On the first day of the week, as Monty mentioned, we have quite a few that are traveling or sick or uh, staying home uh, because of the, the virus uh, and, and other things, and, but we're, we're certainly thankful for you, and we're thankful for your presence. A few weeks ago, we thought this all was behind us, (laughs) you know, certainly uh, reminds us of the fact that, uh, you know, there's certain things we don't control, but we do remember that God is in control and we're, and we rejoice and we celebrate that in that uh, this morning. We've been studying for the past few months uh, from the book of Daniel and this morning, we're going to study a, a chapter that maybe if you're, if you're familiar with the book of Daniel, you're familiar with this chapter, but it's not one of the, I think it's not one of the accounts that we um, talk about a lot, but it is, it really is a jewel of, in the Old Testament. And there's a, you know, it, it's a reminder of the things, um, the amazing word of God, and there are so many things that God's, God's word accomplishes. And we'll see that in this chapter uh, this morning, just kind of doing a quick recap of the, um, the previous studies that we've done in the book of Daniel. Going back, uh, we, we remember that, that Daniel was taken captive um, in around 606 or 605 BC, that he was one of the first group of, groups of captives that were taken out of out of Judah, out of Jerusalem, and taken captive into Babylon. And he was part of a specific group that was identified by the Babylonians that they were given instructions to go seek out young men who had certain characteristics, who had education, who, had, who were of nobility, or who, had, who were familiar with the ways of the, uh, the palace and, and being servant in, in service to the king. And so that these young men could basically be representatives of the captive people, and they would be able to learn the, uh, the language of the Babylonians and the ways of the Babylonians, and that they would act as a, as a counselor to the king with respect to his dealings with those people. So there was purpose in the reason Daniel was selected for this purpose, but we also know that God's hand was in that too, that, that, God, that Daniel was called to a, a service to God he performed in Babylon for the entire time of the captivity of Judah that was there. And we see in, in, in the first chapter, we saw that Daniel, the scripture says he purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the king's meat. We remember that because Daniel was selected to this, uh, this group who would serve the king, that they were actually, they were fed the same things the king was fed as they went through a period of three years of education to train them for this purpose. And so they were given every opportunity to prosper in what they did. And that, and so from, from the Babylonian standpoint, that meant you, were, you would eat the best food. They would be served the best food. But we remember that the things that Nebuchadnezzar were eating were things that they were not supposed to eat as, as, uh, as Jews. And so we remember Daniel refused to do that. And we remember that Daniel was blessed because he acted with wisdom and going about not having to, uh, as he said, defile himself with the eating of the king's meat. And we see God's blessings that, and his presence with Daniel in this situation. And then we go to Daniel chapter two, which is some three years after 
Daniel is taken captive and we, we see the hand of God again and the providence of God in that, Daniel, that Nebuchadnezzar is given a dream and that we find that Daniel has, has been given the ability by God to interpret this dream. And so he, he comes before Nebuchadnezzar and he <clears throat> interprets the dream and he tells him basically a prophecy that God has given to Nebuchadnezzar and to the world through this dream that there would be a succession of world powers that would come about. And he describes who those world powers would be later in the book of Daniel. But then he talks about that at the end of this, in the, in the final of these four kingdoms that he describes that God's kingdom is going to be established. So we see God's purpose, God's purpose in his will is always being carried out. His plan is being carried out. And Daniel reveals this not only to the Jewish people through this dream, but also to the rest of the world through the pagan king who was the dominant world power at that time, who was Nebuchadnezzar. In chapter three, which happens probably some 15 years later, so some period of time later after the events of chapter two and the, the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, maybe 20 years, 15, 20 years, sometime in that space, we, we find the events that happen. Actually, it's, it's an exact number because it's around 586 BC, which is when uh, the third and final invasion uh, takes place for, for, for Jerusalem where the, the Babylonians for the third time come in and they take captive the king and they take captive the majority of the rest of the people and they destroy the city and they destroy the temple. And so it's left desolate as God had described. The city is left desolate. And around that same time is when the events happened in chapter three where we saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and they refused to, to, to worship the idol as Nebuchadnezzar had commanded, and we see God's deliverance for them and their faithfulness. Um, and we see that Nebuchadnezzar, through that process of them being faithful to God, glorifies God um, at the end of that chapter. And as we come into chapter four, uh, there again, we have a, a, a substantial period of time that has taken place uh, between the events of chapter, uh, chapter three and chapter four. So the events in Daniel chapter four happened approximately from 573 to 565 BC. So there's a period there of about eight years that these events take place over. And uh, that was approximately uh, 13 years after the events that we read in chapter three with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So during that time that we see that, that Nebuchadnezzar who had, again, he had completed his conquest of, of, of Canaan, of, of Palestine in 586. And he, he, uh, he, he conquered the city of Tyre and we, he went on to, to basically expand his kingdom out further. And now he's, and he, he built the uh, city of Babylon into uh, a, a beautiful uh, city as the world power at that time. And, and some of the uh, the buildings of that city were recognized as, the, as the, some of the wonders of the world, of the ancient world. So he had accomplished all of this in this time when we come into um, Daniel chapter 4. So as, as uh, we've talked about before, that God, of course, this was all in accordance with God's plan. And we look at the, the uh, prophecy of Jeremiah that we found in Jeremiah, the 25th chapter. God has said, my servant, therefore, are called Nebuchadnezzar his servant. Therefore, says the Lord of hosts, because you have not heard my word, speaking to the uh, children of Israel, to, to the children of Judah. 
Behold, I will send and take the families of the north. I will bring the, the families of the north of the armies of the north and the armies of Nebuchadnezzar and the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land, against its inhabitants, against these nations all around and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment, a hissing and, a, and perpetual desolations. And so talking about not only the desolation of Jerusalem, but the, the other nations around, the other uh, nations around uh, Judah that Nebuchadnezzar captured. And then he goes on to say, and this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will come to pass when the 70 years are completed that I will punish the king of Babylon and that the nation, the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, says the Lord, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. So not only does God tell the children of Israel, the children of Judah, that you're going to be taken captive. You're going to, the Babylonians are going to come and they're going to destroy your city. They're going to take you captive for this period of 70 years. But at the end of that 70 years, he was going to wipe out the Babylonians also. He was going to destroy them and bring punishment upon them um, because of their cruelty um, toward those that they conquered. You know, there's two times in the prophecies that God describes a pagan leader as his servant. And one was, one was Nebuchadnezzar. So Nebuchadnezzar was chosen by God to, for a specific purpose. And that was punishing uh, Judah, punishing Judah. Taking the, he was their captor. He was the destroyer of the city. He was bringing about God's will, not consciously. <laughs> but again, we see... God's providence displayed that God's, God's hand is, is, is working and his will is being performed and his plans are being brought about. And we see that in, in not only in Nebuchadnezzar, but Isaiah described someone else as God's servant and that was Cyrus who would ultimately destroy the Babylonians. And those two played critical roles in both the captivity and the return of the children of Israel from Jerusalem, from Judah and their return back to Judah. And we talked about in the, in the last study that God's purpose in preserving, he was preserving Judah. He was pres preserving the descendants of David and, and the remnant of those who would be faithful to God who would ultimately return to Jerusalem. And during that 70 years, they were gonna be basically, they were gonna be cured of idolatry when they returned to Jerusalem. Idolatry would not be one of the sins they would be guilty of again. God was going to cleanse them through this process of idolatry. And he was going to preserve the remnant that would return and restore worship to God and that would be there to bring about the promises that he had made both to Abraham and to David of the coming Messiah. So God's providence, his plan was all being carried out through the events that we read about in Daniel. And so in the first verse of Daniel chapter 4, the scripture says, Nebuchadnezzar the king to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. So first we recognize, as far as I know, this is the only time that you have a letter from a pagan king directed to all the world that is a part of scripture. So again, the Holy Spirit inspiring Daniel to include this in the book of Daniel. And uh, we see some amazing things here. You know, Romans chapter one talks about that the Gentile world was without excuse when it came to knowing who God was because God manifest himself 
to the pagan world, to the Gentile world. The evidence of, of God's creation was, was all around. And not only that, God, through the influence of the, of the Jewish people and through the events that occurred through the Jewish people, gave notice to the rest of the world of who he was and who, that he was the true God and the power that he had. And he also, in ways like this, manifest himself specifically uh, to pagan people and to, to the Gentile people to know so that they would know the, who the true God of heaven was. And so Nebuchadnezzar is writing to the world about some events that happened at this time in his life during this eight-year period to give witness to the rest of the world of the true God of heaven. You know, at, at different times in the, in the previous studies, we've seen Nebuchadnezzar recognize the works of the God of Daniel and give praise to God for those things and recognize his power. But we see that despite that, he still didn't recognize God as the only true God. He still was a pagan and he still worshiped other gods. But God gets his, his attention very strongly through the events that happen here. And again, this is just a look at the expansion of the Babylonian Empire during the, during the time uh, that we read about in the book of Daniel. And you can see that it, it, it covers much of what is the modern day Middle East, expanding into Turkey, Iran, Egypt, Saudi Arabia to the south. So uh, again, the, the, he was the world power, or Babylon was the world power at that time. He says, I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. This is the same Nebuchadnezzar who had marched his armies into Jerusalem, who had taken captive those people um, and, and brought them back to Babylon, who through, cru through cruelty uh, and harshness conquered the world. And, and we see here in his later years an amazing thing that he's giving glory and praise and honor uh, to the God of heaven, to the true the one and true and living God. And this again, it's because of the events, due to the events we find here that he's going to describe. He says, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace, and I saw a dream which made me afraid, and the thoughts on my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. This sounds familiar, doesn't it? So again, this is some uh, 40 years after Daniel has been taken you know, into captivity that these events happen. So about 37 years from the, from the dream that Nebuchadnezzar we read about in Daniel chapter two. We find that God freaked when he, when he revealed things to pagan kings, uh, he frequently did it through dreams. And we saw that back when, uh, when uh, Joseph was uh, taken as a slave into Egypt and how the Pharaoh of Egypt, God gave him a dream that that was revealed, uh, the, the interpretation re was revealed through Joseph. And we see again the similarities of how God used Joseph in preserving his people and how he used Daniel long time, hundreds of years later at this critical point of transition in the history of God's people. So he was in, he said, I was in my house and I was flourishing. Again, this is a time when Basically, Nebuchadnezzar's in the, in the latter stages of his career and he's, his battles have been fought and his, 
He's, he's succeeded in building Babylon into this magnificent, magnificent city. And so he's kind of sitting back, you know, feeling like I can kind of sit back and relax and rest and, and enjoy all that I've done, you know. And to me, it reminds me of, of the uh, parable that Jesus uh, gives us about the rich farmer, remember, who had a plenteous, uh, plentiful crop and it was such a great crop, he was gonna tear down his barns and build new ones and sit back and say, take thine ease for, you know, you've, you've, you've uh, provided all this for your, basically your retirement. And God says, you fool, this, this night should your life be required of you. And then who are these things gonna be? God warns us that there's not a time that we sit back and rest on our laurels, that while we're here, we're here to serve him. And we're, here, we're not here to take credit for the things that God has provided us for. And that's what God is going to show Nebuchadnezzar again through the events here. But he's sitting back and he's resting. He said he's troubled. He has a vision. He has a dream that, that God gives him as he's taking his leisure there. And it says, therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream, the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in and I told them the dream and they did not make known to me the interpretation. So again, the similarity of what happened some 37 years later. So immediately Nebuchadnezzar, when he has this vision dream, recognizes it's something unique and it's something that God, he probably recognizes something God's telling him. It's probably very, gives him much the same feeling of that dream he had some 37 years prior. And so again, he calls in basically his counselors, the wise men of Babylon. Um, remember, Daniel at this point is basically like the prime minister. He's the, he's the highest ranking of his counselors, but he's not among those who come in first that we see here. And those who come in first, much like the previous dream, have no idea how to interpret uh, this dream that Nebuchadnezzar has. And he says, but at last, Daniel came before me. His name Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and him is the spirit of the holy God. So we, again, we see the, the, the mixed language of both someone who's recognizing the true God, but also is still, you know, pagan, who, who is, who's lived their life as a pagan. And he refers to Daniel because he had changed Daniel's name to Belteshazzar, which was a reference to the god Baal, who was uh, one of the primary gods who they, the Babylonians worshiped. And so, but he says, but in him, in Daniel, is the spirit of the holy God. So he, again, he's recognizing the true God of Daniel and the spirit that dwells in Daniel is, is, the, is the spirit of the true God. And he said, I told, I told the dream before him saying, Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you. Explain to me the visions of my dream that I have seen in the interpretation. So he recognizes, now why, why Daniel wasn't there at first is only less left for us to, to uh, suppose or to conjecture. I, I don't know. I don't know if there was a reason that maybe, you know, some of us have suggested that Nebuchadnezzar had deep concerns for himself because of this dream. And maybe he was looking for a way out that might get, be, could be provided uh, by those of, of his, uh, the Chaldeans, by those who were Babylonians that he was trying to avoid going to Daniel because he did not want to hear what God really had to say to him. And maybe that's the case, maybe not. Maybe Daniel was actually out on other business, but what, for whatever reason, he's the last to come in. But when he comes in, Nebuchadnezzar 
knows that Daniel's going to be able to tell him what this dream means. He said, these were the visions of my head while on my bed I was looking and behold, a tree was in the midst of the earth and the height of it was great. And the tree grew and became strong and its height reached to the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of all the earth. So this is, this is, not, an, this is not a tree we have in our backyard. This, this tree can be seen from anywhere in the world. So this is humongous. This is a humongous tree that he sees um, in this dream. It says its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant, and it was food for all. So this tree was plentiful enough. Basically, it was feeding the world. It was providing shade. It says um, the beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens dwelt in its branches. All the flesh, all flesh fed from it. So it was basically providing for all of the earth. It was providing shade. It was and shelter it, for the animals. It was providing food for the animals. It was providing food for the people. So it, this was a, a miraculous tree that he saw. And he said, I saw in the visions of my head while on my bed that there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. And he cried aloud and said, thus chop down the tree and cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and the roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze and the tender grass of the field, let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beast on the grass of the earth. So in the midst of this dream, as he's listening to this watcher, this, this proclamation, we see the, the characteristic of the tree change from a tree to a person. So that tells us, this, this tree is representing a person. And he says, let him graze like the beast of the field um, and let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of a beast and let seven times pass over him. So as Nebuchadnezzar was remembering this dream and describing it to Daniel, Daniel, um, well, he goes on to say this decision is by decree of the watchers and the sentence by the word of the holy ones in order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he will and sets over it the lowest of men. So in this last, these last verses, Nebuchadnezzar is told this is the purpose of, what, of what's going on here. The purpose of this dream, the purpose of this prophecy of these events that are going to happen is that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, that God is the ruler of, of all men, that God's providence rules, that his will will prevail. And it says that he gives to whomever he will and sets over at the lowest of men. <laughs> what does he say? It is God who determines who the rulers are. It is God who gives men the power to rule and the, the, uh, the, uh, wherewithal to rule and, and it is by God's uh, will those things happen. He is in control of those things. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, have seen and now you, Belteshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So again, Nebuchadnezzar recognizing the power of God that is in Daniel. And then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was astonished for a time. So Daniel sat there in silence. He heard this 
And God revealed to him what it meant. And Daniel did not want to tell Nebuchadnezzar what this dream meant. He did not want to tell him because as he goes on to say, or Belt, uh, as Nebuchadnezzar goes on to say, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belteshazzar, or Daniel answers and says, my Lord, may the dream concern those who hate you and its interpretation, your enemies. He said, I would rather see what's gonna happen from this vision, what it's describing. I would rather see it happen to your enemies than to you. I mean, and again, we remember Daniel has served Nebuchadnezzar at this point over 30 years. He served as as the king's counselor. And so there was a relationship between Daniel and Nebuchadnezzar. And we see the influence of Daniel on Nebuchadnezzar in much of the writings of this letter or this decree that he makes. And we see the influence that God is having upon Nebuchadnezzar um, through Daniel. But Daniel doesn't wish bad things, just as we don't wish bad things on other people. We wish people would come to their senses, which Nebuchadnezzar's going to do, but we don't wish the hardships that are brought upon them. He says, the tree that you saw, which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens, which could not, which could be seen by all on the earth, whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant and which food was for all and under the beast of the field dwelt and whose branches the birds of the heaven made their home. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. This tree represents you. Nebuchadnezzar, this, this tree represents you. Again, Babylon had become the world power and who was the leader of the world power? It was, it was Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> For your greatness has grown and it reached to heaven and your dominion to the end of the earth. So God had blessed or he had provided all of this for Nebuchadnezzar. He had allowed him to basically conquer the world, to punish the world at that time, and specifically those of Judah who had fallen in, who had forgotten God and who had become, as the scripture says, worse than even those of Sodom and Gomorrah in God's eyes. They had become that wicked. Um, He says, it's you who's described by this tree, Nebuchadnezzar, that God has, has given you this blessing and he's given you this reign to become this world power to, to basically uh, rule over most of the world at that time or much of the world. And as, inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let them graze let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over. This is the interpretation, O king, and this is the decree of the most high which has come upon the Lord of the king. So this is God's decree of what's gonna happen to you, Nebuchadnezzar. They shall drive you from men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like an oxen. They shall wet you with the dew of heaven. Seven times shall pass over you till, listen, (laughs) till you know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. So again, God's purpose is he's gonna show you, Nebuchadnezzar, that he's in control, that any power or rule or any abilities that you have did not come from you. They came from God. And he says, you're gonna be be like a wild beast. You're You're gonna lose your mind. You're gonna become insane until you've learned this lesson, until, until you recognize that it is not by your power, it is not by your 
anything that you have done that you have these things, but these things were given to you by God. God gave you the ability to rule and to reign. And inasmuch as they have commanded to leave the stump and the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you come to know that heaven rules. Once you've learned your lesson, God's going to put you back in your place. <clears throat> and we see again God's mercy. You know, the scripture tells us that God, it's not God's desire that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And even in this pagan ruler, Nebuchadnezzar, God shows his mercy. He's going to show him the insanity of pride as we, is, is, the, is the title of our lesson. And through that lesson that God's going to teach him, he's going to allow him to be restored to his position, but then recognizing who he is and who God is. <clears throat> Therefore, O king, let my advice be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by being righteous and your iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. Perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel says, so listen to me. <laughs> Maybe if you'll repent, maybe if you'll change your actions and you'll act righteously and you'll, you'll be uh, cognizant of the needs of the, of the poor and, and, and you'll, be, you'll become, you'll, do, you'll act rightly, you'll do the right things, you'll act righteously. Maybe God will extend the time bef that you, before these things come upon you. The next verse says, all of this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end of the 12 months as he was walking about the royal palace. So <clears throat> from the time that Daniel gave him this revelation, a whole year passed. And it says, and the king spoke saying, is not this great? So he's walking around in the palace and he's looking out from the palace and he's looking at this great city of Babylon. And this is a picture of what some artists uh, it's their rendition of what the hanging gardens of Babylon may have looked like. So this was one of those things that was one of the modern, one of the um, wonders of the modern modern world, uh, not modern world, but the uh, the ancient world. Um, so he's looking out, and this may be one of the things he's seeing as he's walking around the palace, and he's 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 swelled up with pride as he looks out, and he says, "It's not this." the great Babylon that I have built for a royal dwelling for my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty. It's I, 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 my, 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 right? Uh, much like the rich farmer that, that Jesus told us about. <clears throat> Had he learned anything from the interpretation of the vision that Daniel had given him? And the answer is no. <clears throat> As Nebuchadnezzar looked out there, who did, he, who did he give credit for all that had happened to him and for all that he had accomplished? And it was him. <clears throat> had he learned anything? No. But, let's, but ask, as we step back and we say, well, I mean, didn't Nebuchadnezzar build the city of Babylon? Didn't he conquer all these things? And the answer is yes, but by whose power did he do those things? <clears throat> who had caused him who caused Nebuchadnezzar to be born into royalty? Who had caused him to, be, to ascend to the throne of Babylon at the time of its zenith, at the time of its, the max, at, at the time of its power? It was God. Who had given him the mental capacity to rule? Who had delivered his enemies to his hand? It was God. Who had given him and his people the talents and the abilities to imagine and to design and to build? It was God. 
Who had provided the natural resources, the math and the science needed to complete the great city and the marvels of the ancient world? Was it Nebuchadnezzar who provided those things? No, it wasn't. It was God. Who ruled over the kingdom of men? Who rules over the kingdom of men? It is God. Who sets whom he will in positions to rule? And again, it is God. And while the word was still in the king's mouth, a voice fell from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you and they shall drive you from men and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field and they shall make you eat grass like oxen and seven times shall pass over you until you know the most high rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. So again, this is the decree. And Nebuchadnezzar, your time has come. God gave you space You chose not to repent. You chose not to change your ways. And now you're going to learn a hard lesson. That very hour, the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. And he was driven from men and he ate grass like an oxen. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven like his, until his hair had grown like eagle's feathers and his nails like bird's claws. And so as the picture depicts, he became like an animal. He had lost, he lost his mind. He lost his sanity. Um, there's a description. There's a medical description for people who have uh, a, a form of madness where they think themselves and act like animals is called lycanthropy. And, um, it, it's where people have the delusion that they are actually an animal and they behave like an animal. And is that what Nebuchadnezzar had? I don't know. All I know is that whatever, whatever madness he had was, was given to him by God. God made him that way. He, he, he was showing him, Nebuchadnezzar, this is really how you're acting. This, you're, you're the insanity of your pride. This is really, this is how you look to me. You're a grass eater. You're, you're an animal. And you're behaving as an animal. I mean, that, that's how the, that's the insanity uh, that's the insanity of pride. Pride is insanity. <clears throat> it's not being of sound mind. It is taking credit for the glory and for the blessings given to us by God. It's taking personal credit for the things and the blessings of God. And I, and I read this illustration. And I thought it was pretty good. You know, if, if I, if I took you to my desk and I opened my computer and I and I started it up and I went to a search engine and I went out to the internet and I said, look what I've done. I have invented computing and I have invented the internet. He would go, what? You're crazy. You haven't invented anything. You didn't invent the computer. All you did was learn how to turn it on. All you had to learn, all you learned was how to, how to access the programs to actually get out there on the internet. You didn't invent anything. How can you possibly take credit for the work that somebody else has done? That's crazy, isn't it? But think about human pride. Think about Nebuchadnezzar. What was Nebuchadnezzar doing? He didn't create the body he inhabited. He didn't create the natural resources of this world. He didn't give himself the wisdom and the ability and the power to rule the abilities that he had, he gave himself none of those things. What did he do? He learned what God had already put in place. 
He was given the ability to learn and he learned those things and God blessed him with those things. But the insanity of taking credit for those things was no less than me taking credit for inventing the internet. It's insanity. In Deuteronomy, the eighth chapter, God gives these words to the children of Israel after he's given them the law and he's gonna allow them to enter the promised land. And he says, when you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. But beware, listen to the warning. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments, his judgments and his statutes, which I command you this day. Number one, don't forget God. Be careful when things are good for you. He said, lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them and when your herds and your flocks multiply, your silver and your gold are multiplied and you have, and that what you have is multiplied when your heart is lifted up and you forget that the Lord your God who brought you, forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. What is God saying? When, when God has blessed you to the extent that you have all of these things, you're prospering, you have, you have nice homes, you have, you have sufficient wealth and you, you are prospering in all of these things. He said, be careful beware. There's a natural tendency of human beings for you and I to do exactly what Moses, the Holy Spirit through Moses is describing here, and that is for your heart to be lifted up, to forget that it is God who provides all these things for you, who led you through the great and terrible wilderness in which there were fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty land in which there was no water, who brought water for you out of the flinty rock and fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and that he might test you to do, <clears throat> to do you good in the end. So what did he say? He said, you know, you went through some hard times. You went through some difficult times when you, were, when you recognized that you were reliant on God to bring you through those things and God brought you through those things and now he's provided you with plenty and he's provided you um, with wealth and with, with uh, comfortable homes and with all of these things. He said that he might humble you. He said those, those, those trying times were to humble you so that you would remember those things when you received the blessings of God. He said, then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. He said, lest you do those things. Recognize the natural tendency of human beings toward pride, toward this insanity of pride when things are going well. What causes you and I to be puffed up with pride? success or skill in a given field. <clears throat> okay, we should take pride in our work, absolutely. And in, in the sense that we should do our best. We should do the job right. We should do our best at whatever our hand finds to do. The scripture tells us that we do our, we do our labor as we're, we're working for the Lord. And so we do our best at those things, but we don't take pride in the sense that we take credit for the abilities that God has given to us for the, the outcome of those things that God has blessed us with, that we recognize that he is the provider of all those, those things. 
and physical beauty or strength or abilities. Again, we should take personal pride in the way that, that we present ourselves, that we should make sure that we are clean and that we are presentable, but we don't, uh, not the kind of pride that seeks to exalt ourselves for the, again, for the blessings, for the things that have been given to us by God. Fame, fortune, possessions, social positions, all of these things people tend to take pride in. The organizations that we associate ourselves with and we've, and other people have talked on pride and talked about, you know, being proud to be an American or a Texan and, and, and elevating or exalting ourselves because of those things or in the schools or in teams. I mean, there is a, there is a moderate way that we, that we uh, take joy in those things, but, but there is not a place that we take uh, the uh, insanity of pride in those things. At the base of all of these blessings, at the base of all of these things is a gift or a blessing from God. Galatians chapter six and verse 14, the apostle Paul says, but God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of Jesus Christ. When you boil it down, everything that we have and all that we are comes from God. And what do we glory in? We glory in the salvation that God has given us through Jesus Christ and that alone <clears throat> do we boast. Number one, pride is insanity. Number two, God will not tolerate pride. The scripture tells us that God's not going to tolerate pride, that we see that he exhibited this with Nebuchadnezzar. Proverbs 6 and 16 through 17 says, these six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And so he lists those seven things. The first one is a proud look. The first thing that God hates is a proud look. God hates pride. Everyone who is proud in heart and is an, is an abomination to the Lord, the scripture says. If we are puffed up with pride and we are taking credit for the glory of the things that God has provided to us, he says we're an abomination to him. He said, though they join forces, none will go unpunished. The pride are not, proud are not gonna go unpunished. <clears throat> in 1 Peter 5 and verse five, the scripture says, likewise, you younger people, submit yourselves to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility for God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He says, if we're proud, not only are we not pleasing to God, God is actively working against us. God is actively working against pride. And he said, if you're proud, if you're lifted up, God is resisting you. He is going to be working against the proud, but God's gonna give grace to the humble. Number three, pride will destroy us. It will turn us into grass eaters. Um, that picture of depravity that we are given of Nebuchadnezzar, that's what pride will bring us to. <clears throat> when Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel, he lists the sins of Sodom. And we know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know the, the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah. But when we think about Sodom and Gomorrah, um, we probably don't, I don't know if you've ever list, read the list of sins. We're gonna read them in just a minute. But before I get to that, pride will destroy us. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Psalms 10 and verse four says, the wicked in his proud countenance does not seek God. God is in none of his thoughts. What does he say? The proud is separated from God. Because why? Because he himself has become his God. He, he is not worshiping God, he is worshiping himself. He is... He has lost sight of the true God. 
This is the description of the sins of the sin of Sodom and the iniquity of Sodom. So God is, is speaking through Ezekiel, who was a contemporary with Daniel, and he's talking to the children of Israel and talking about their wickedness. Now, it was greater than that of Sodom. He said, look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter, what was the first thing he just said? He said they had pride. They had fullness of food and abundance of idleness. They, had, they were gluttonous. They were lazy. <clears throat> they did not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. They were selfish and they did not help those around them. They were haughty and they, were commit, and they committed abomination. That abomination is what we recognize Sodom for. But we see all of the other things that contributed to the destruction of Sodom. And the first thing on the list was pride. And God says, and I took them away as I saw fit. It resulted in their destruction. <clears throat> Pride leads to destruction. And we conclude then with, with how do we avoid pride? How do we not fall to the, the deception, the insanity of pride? And the way we do that is to humble ourselves in the sight of God. We've, again, 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting your cares upon him, for he cares for you. God wants the best for you. He wants, doesn't want you to be insane. He doesn't want you to be in, in the wrong mind. He wants you to have the right, a sound mind that his spirit gives us <clears throat> to not be carried away in pride. In Luke chapter 18, verses 9 and 10, Jesus spoke this parable. To some who trusted themselves that we're familiar with, that were righteous and despised others, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a tax collector. We remember this parable. And the Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, where he prayed to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give tithes of all that I possess. His righteousness was what? It was self-righteousness. He boasted of his righteousness to God. And the tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. So again, we, we recognize this parable we see the tax collector, the publican, as he stood to pray, as the Pharisee boasted of his righteousness, the, the, the publican would not lift his eyes to heaven, but smote himself and said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, this man was justified. This man recognized, <clears throat> he had a true perspective of who he was and who God is. And that is the perspective that we have to have as Christians. When God has blessed us abundantly and that we don't, be lifted up. Our hearts are not lifted up in pride <clears throat> like that of Nebuchadnezzar, but that we, rec we, are, we always recognize the mercy that we have received from God and that we depend on from God. You know, I, I, Ty Fleming many years ago in a, in a gospel meeting was talking about the subject of pride and <clears throat> he was talking about a group of evangelists who were sitting around and they were talking as a group and they were talking one to the other about how many had, had obeyed the gospel during the meetings they had held and how many they had baptized and this one had done this many and this one had accounted for this many and, and there was an older evangelist in the group who kept silent and one of them called out to him and said, well, how many of you baptized? And he said, all I've got to say, gentlemen, is Lord have mercy on me, a sinner. 
<clears throat> Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Why would I boast in, the, in those things that I seem to have accomplished? It's not me who accomplished those things. It's God who accomplished those things through us. And we're blessed to be instruments of his. Anytime we find ourselves in that situation, let us remember the words of the publican. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. What does God say? Not some are gonna be humbled. He said, if you have pride, God's gonna humble you. Nebuchadnezzar found out that firsthand. Let's not wait for God to humble us. I don't know if you've ever been humbled in your life by God. Um, I'll tell you, I have. I've fallen, I've fallen into pride at times in my life for sure. And God has a way of humbling us. And that is God's mercy for us because God's, God wants the best for us. Let's not wait. Let's not wait for God to have to humble us. Let's recognize our place before God. And at the end of the time, I had Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven. At the end of that seven seasons, of that seven years, Nebuchadnezzar was in this situation for seven years. And at the end of the time, what did he say? The first thing he did is he lifted his eyes to heaven. His sanity was restored. I lifted my, and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the most high and praised and honored him and who lives forever for his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom is from generation to generation. What did he recognize? Who rules over the kingdom of, of men? It is God. Who is he? He is one who is simply an instrument of God who received the blessings of God. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed for nothing. He's are reputed as nothing and he does according to his will in the army of the heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? God's will is going to be done. At the same time, my reason returned to me in the glory of my kingdom. My honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom and excellent majesty was added to me. What happened? God fulfilled his promise. He learned his lesson. He returned to his position and this was his final statement. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. <clears throat> he had learned his lesson. He knew firsthand <clears throat> And all of those works, all of his works are truth, his ways, justice, and those who walk in pride, he is able to put down. These are the final recorded words that we have of Nebuchadnezzar. Hopefully there's been something in the study of the morning this, that has been uh, useful to you that will encourage you and help us as we go through walking the Christian life.